Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am, of course, Joe Mobley, your host, the original uncloseted conservative. And today we have a really awesome episode with one Monica Gill. Guys, if you haven't heard of Monica Gill, she's an educator and I wouldn't call her a political activist. I'd call her a very concerned citizen and a woman who just stands boldly in her faith. Um, everyone's always talking Proverbs 31. I would say a Joshua 1, 9 Woman, have I not commanded you be bold and courageous for your Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. And that is the interview we have for you today. Monica, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Joe? Thank you so much for having me. I am well. I'm getting uh, back to temperature. Uh, like I said, we were at Great Country Farms today and it mm -hmm. is hot. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> Uh, so I've got my seal and fan going too. So what have you been up to? You've been, you know, you spoke out at some school board meetings and and kind of in the crazy Tanner Cross era of things happening in Loudoun. Uh, how have things been for you since um, kind of jumping into the limelight? You're writing op-eds and, and you're really just making you know, I would say like bold professions of faith. It's not just about politics for you. It's about uh, protecting our most vulnerable population, which is children. And it's also about standing in truth. How how has all of that gone for you over the last few months? That's a great question. I um I am just so honored that you called me what was it, Joshua One Nine woman. <laughs> um I I can tell you that there were many years where I was kind of afraid to be bold about speaking my faith. I mean, my students have always known that I'm a Christian. I've been pretty bold about that. But in terms of with the rest of the things regarding my job as a teacher, um, outside of my classroom, which is kind of my, my little kingdom, I haven't said a whole lot very often. But I really started to get alarmed right around 2019, 2019, when we first started doing those equity trainings and that first equity training and culturally responsive teaching uh, <laughs> training, if you want to call it that, that we did was really, like I said, I was alarmed at it. And that's when I started trying to speak out and get more active and, and really, you know, get a voice out there. And it was very difficult at first. I was, I was ignored for a really long time. Um, so I was writing letters. I was, I spoke at the school board meeting when they were going to pass the policy saying they were going to basically discipline teachers who disagreed with the equity policy. Um, and, you know, so all of these things really are just sort of coming together in and colliding in our county, whether you're talking about, you know, your rights as a Christian, free speech rights, um, issues of, you know, race and racism, which they are kind of rolling back, I think, 60 years of progress made by Dr. King. And that's where it all started. I, like I said, I was feeling sort of um, ignored and alone for a long time. And as parents, I, I think COVID was what did it, you know, parents started watching over their kids' shoulders, the things that were happening in their classrooms and started listening to teachers like myself who were concerned. And as parents got more concerned, that kind of turned up the heat on things and gave me um, even a little bit more ability, I think, to be bold and, and publish the first Federalist piece that I wrote. 
And from there, it's just been snowballing with more opportunities. And I'm, you know, I'm not done. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's really, you know, you are, I, I said this at Glenn Youngkin's uh, rally for education. I think it was uh, last Saturday, the Saturday before. But mm -hmm. oftentimes the man in the arena is a woman. Um, and it, it's been that way for a good long time. And we see that a lot here in Virginia. A lot of political candidates are women. Um, a lot of courageous educators are women. Uh, and you are definitely among that fold. Um, I definitely wanted to let the readers know that you do. And you mentioned those articles. You can read these really fabulous articles uh, that Monica <laughs> wrote. Um, so a couple of Federalist articles, and if you just, the links will be in the show notes, but if you just go to the Federalist, hopefully you guys read this awesome uh, news source. If you just go in and type in her name, there it is. Um, you can see these articles, and what I love about them, if, if I just take the rabbit trail for a mm -hmm. second, is, you know, one of them is telling us what the problem is. A Loudoun County teacher explains how leftist institutional racism is devastating public schools. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing to complain, and a lot of people are complaining, but the very next article is what can we do about it? If we're going to remove, if, if there's some change that needs to happen, what is that change? And a lot of people are confused about that. They'll say Christians just want everyone to follow all these dumb rules. And it, no, it's repentance means turning back. So, uh, not conflating the two. We do need to turn away from CRT and teach the stuff uh, that you've outlined, it, outlined in your second article. Um, so again, both of those are over on The Federalist. I hope you check them out and uh, we might dive into them a little bit. Let me get on the right screen here. So I'm so glad that things are going well for you. I'm so glad, like you said, that, you know, this is your your own little kingdom in the classroom. And it's not like, it's not that you're proselytizing. It's just that this okay. is where you can reach people right where you are. And that's what a lot of people need to do. Um, there's so much that we could say to children, but what's your message to adults? I, I say uncloseted conservative is, is what <laughs> I say. People are in the closet about a lot of things, whether yeah. it's, I have a relative who's very liberal, but she's pro-gun. She's in the closet about that. What's your message to the adults in the room that are on the sideline? They're not in the arena. They know something needs to be done and they're just waiting for someone else to do it. They've got that security blanket over their head. What is your message to just call them to action? I tell them, you know, we didn't get canceled. It's okay. Monica's still here. Joe's still here. And we survived, you know? Yes, I think that right now is the most disconcerting thing is how afraid people are. And, and I will say I experienced some of that fear as well. There's, there's the, you know, am I going to be called a racist if you're, you know, trying to combat CRT or am I going to be called a bigot or am I going to have my job on the line, which, you know, we're actually seeing Tanner Cross deal with that right now. And that certainly is kind of a stopper for a lot of people. We're concerned about our own comfort. And I mean, I'm not going to know who this quote is, but I'm sure we've all heard it before. The only way that that evil um, can victor is if good people stand by and do nothing. Um, I feel like it's Edmund Burke, but I'm probably wrong about that. But anyway, that really is true. And we have a lot of good people who are looking around knowing that what is happening right now in our schools, in our communities, in the country is just wrong, but they're too afraid to do something about it because they don't wanna lose 
their status or their comfort or um, they don't want to pay a cost. And then we really need to do a heart check about that because what did Jesus tell us, right? He told us to take up our cross, to bear our cross, that we would be certainly, you know, facing persecution, that they're going to hate us because of him. And that doesn't mean that we go and run and hide, as you say, under the security blanket or stick our head in the sand or just try to, you know, go along to get along as best we can. So to those who are sitting on the sidelines, you know, this is not a time to sit on the sidelines. We need to all be in the game and we need to be taking part in any way that we can. Every person is gifted in some way. Uh, God has gifted you in some way to be able to be a part of expanding his kingdom and you got to get in and, and start because we're, we're talking about some pretty serious problems being, you know, facing our kids, facing us, facing the nation. If we just say, ah, you know, I'll sit this one out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. If you sit this one out, I think people 30, 40 years ago thought that and the, the line, Michael Dell says it all the time. The line was, they'll teach them this stuff. They'll get out of college. They'll get into the real world and all of it will get corrected. Newsflash. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're being mugged by reality. Um, mm -hmm. You know, AOC's pitching really economic policies as a right. freshman uh, representative, which is just not something that usually happens. But here in, in this new reality, um, mm -hmm. things that would literally just not bankrupt the country, but that would just drastically change the way that we live. I, I remember seeing one of the proposals, the idea was to like get rid of cars. Um, okay, I, okay. I, well, we're not going to chase that rabbit, but uh, that would have I know, a but devastating there's effect. stuff going on right now. Yeah. yeah, that would have a devastating effect on how we live our lives, the productivity um, that westernized civilization is able to achieve. But anyway, we digress back into the right. education house. Yeah, people, you've got to get off the sideline. You've got to get into the game because it matters. And you did, a, I can't remember his name. Oh, gosh, you did an interview. It was really good with. Is that Larry O'Connor? Yes. Larry O'Connor, yeah. Yes. And um, you you all were talking about getting off of the sideline and I should have written this down. Did I write this down? Because you, <laughs> you said a line. I didn't. Okay. I'll move on to a different note. I, I don't want to tell, you know what guys, I usually don't pitch other people's shows, but go and listen to it. I, it was on the radio, but it's on, it's on YouTube. So type in. Mm -hmm. I can send Gill. you the link to it too. If Please. you, if you I, I'll take it. that. Yeah. And I'll, this will be in the show notes guys. Um, well, another thing that you guys talked about, and Ian and I have talked about this a lot, that's Ian Pryor with Fight for Schools, mm -hmm. which is an awesome organization. If you don't know about Fight for Schools, go to fightforschools.com right now. And if you're in the area in Northern Virginia, then volunteer your time. And if you're not, then donate your money because we could use it. Um, anyway, <laughs> always, always pitching for Fight for Schools. But Absolutely. you guys talked about this. I would say absurd and insane video, this training um, yeah. that they showed you. And luckily I left the military before these trainings got to the military, but the the classic, they're the white runners and the black runners, mm -hmm. the gun goes off and they let the white runners run free and life is mm -hmm. easy sailing. My, my white wife has never faced an obstacle because she just shows up and they go, huh, right this way, <laughs> white woman. And then the black runners, they're held at the starting line for so much time. Uh, and then, of course, they're facing all these obstacles. 
these trainings are absurd. When we see each other, when we're out in society and someone looks at you, all they know about you is presumably you're a female because we have to presume that these days. (laughs) Uh, And I guess also presumably because you could identify as Asian like that one uh, gentleman does, Uh, but presumably you're white and presumably I'm a male and I'm black. That's, That's all that you would know. Those are the immutable Mm -hmm. characteristics. Yeah, maybe how tall or short we are. But they're saying that they can know all of this other stuff about us that I've experienced, all of this oppression that only black men experience, and you've experienced all of this privilege that only white women experience. (laughs) Isn't that racist? (laughs) It is. I um, and I think that that video and another little activity, which we can we can talk about that in a second, that we did in that first training was just what was so jaw dropping to me was just watching that and how they were advocating for this very racist, you know, um, white privilege. I mean, it's a racial stereotype. And I literally had one of my colleagues next to me. She's she's in tears because, and she turns to me and she says, "This completely." just negates everything that I struggled as a single white mom who was on welfare. My kids were getting free lunch, you know, two, three times a day, every day because of, you know, I I was divorced and I had nothing. And I mean, she's just crying because she is being portrayed as this privileged, you know, prissy woman. Um, And it wasn't, it was far from the truth. And I, I was offended myself. I think about my own situation. I mean, I've struggled. I paid for my own way through college. My dad has an eighth grade education. I'm wow. That sounds like hard work. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he's been on his own since he was 14 and, you know, he got married. He started as a nobody in a little electrical company and worked his way to the top of his field. So, you know, and is retired I'm, and well. So I'm confused. And- I'm just learning how to use the internet because I'm black. And, <laughs> right, uh, exactly. So when you and and your dad, when you guys went places, they didn't just give you all kinds of stuff? Nope. Wow, <laughs> no, it was fascinating. Yeah, we actually, my dad actually taught us that we had to work for what we got and, you know, taught us a good blue collar work ethic and I mean, I'm super proud of my dad. He's and he's worked hard and fought hard for everything that he has. And he taught me to work hard for, you know, to get where I am. And it just is absurd to think that, you know, just because we're white, it was handed to us on a silver platter. And I'm not just white. My mom is Asian. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Were you the first in your family to go to college? I was. Yep. Well, CRT says that all white people, all of their ancestors have gone to college forever. See, no. it's just not true. Yeah. One of the one of the things that I wrote about in my article was, I think it was in the first article, you know, I have, I come in a generation, there were 15 cousins, 15 of us, and three wow. of us got degrees in higher education. Three out of 15. That's white privilege? I, I don't, I don't think so. You know, it just, wow. it, it makes I don't know. It just makes no sense. As you said, it's completely absurd. Um, The whole notion of white privilege is absurd. And it concerns me really because it's perpetuating this racial stereotype. And it is, it's encouraging our kids to discriminate against one another. I witnessed it trickle down into the classroom. Um, I've seen, you know, some of our, I mean, it's heartbreaking, Joe. I've seen some of our minority students say things to 
our white students to exclude them. Like, well, you can't be a part of this conversation because you're white. That's horrible. No student, no child should be excluded from a conversation or anything because they're white, black, brown. That's immaterial to whether or not they have something to offer to a conversation or to community or fellowship or our society. So we're encouraging them to look at each other based on their race. We're encouraging them to discriminate against each other. And that to me is alarming. That's rolling back, like I said, 60 years of progress from Martin Luther King Jr., who's, you know, interestingly absent almost from this entire conversation, unless our side is bringing well, they, him up. Well, they don't want to bring him up. Right. Yeah, and, not at all. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking, you know, we should we should be teaching children that there's one race, the human race, and anything different, teaching them anything different is completely counterproductive to a really mm-hmm. healthy society. So that those are the things that really, you know, my blood pressure's up now. <laughs> those are the things that get my blood pressure up and just get me so incensed that the things that the school board is doing and we're, you know, we're seeing that at this micro level, but it really, it goes all the way up to, you know, our state, our, and our nation. These are the things that are happening and, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating. Yeah. I'm so glad that you, you've obviously studied history, but more than just having a cursory knowledge of it, you apply it to now. It's the same thing with the Bible. It's relevant for us now, and it'll be relevant for whoever's here in a thousand years, if if there's a thousand years left. But you bring up Martin Luther King often, and it's like Mm -hmm. the civil rights movement was necessary, but it had tremendous effect. Mm -hmm. And I'm a beneficiary of that. And you, as a white American, are a beneficiary of the how the the promise of, I always point to this, I've got a declaration of independence over here, yes. how the promise <laughs> of the declaration came to fruition. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't care how long it took. Everyone's always counting that up. Well, it should have been, they're, they're like, okay, well, if I started Apple, then it should have been this, but guess what? I didn't. And mm-hmm. we didn't start this country. It was, it was set into motion by imperfect people. And it right. doesn't matter how long it came or it took to, you know, come to full manifestation. And we're still driving towards, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, some state of betterdom. But equality under law mm-hmm. has been achieved until yeah. now. Now it's back the other way because right. uh, opportunities are available to me that aren't to you because I'm mm-hmm. black or or because I'm I live in Loudoun County, but I'm from um, I'm from the hood in Long Island. Uh, so if I put that on an application or whatever, then I get all these extra points. And it's it's ridiculous. It's not to minorities' benefit for us mm-hmm. to be artificially inflated. I don't, I don't is that fair? I, yeah, I, I agree. And I particularly love you pointing to the Declaration of Independence. And anybody who studies Martin Luther King Jr. or you study the civil rights movement, even if you go back and you know, in our history and look at the long struggle for Black America and women and any disadvantaged group, um, they are constantly pointing back to uh, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the promises that were made there. If you look at the abolitionist movement and and the Civil War itself, those who were advocating for ending slavery, freeing the slaves, those, those advocates were Christians who were saying this is wrong because in the eyes of God, we're all equal. And they were Christians who were saying, hey, 
our nation is built on transcendent values of God that we value human beings. We said it in our Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And, you know, time and time again, we see in our history that we are using that moral compass that our founding fathers gave us to right those wrongs. And no, we're not perfect and we don't get it right all the time. But just like you said, we we are using that moral compass to right those wrongs and to, to live up to the promises that were made. We're not just being hypocrites. We're, we're looking at our hypocrisies and saying, oh, this is not right. This is not in line with this transcendent value that our founding fathers established. We need to get back on course. So I think that's one of the things that I also find very frustrating about this whole critical race theory um, argument right now is they'll lay down this claim that, well, you know, teachers and conservatives and white people just don't want to teach about issues of race because they're uncomfortable. Joe, I have been teaching for 26 years. I have never once been afraid to deal with the issues of race in my teaching because it lets me look at this moral compass of the United States and it lets me point to that compass and say, look, we have employed this to right these wrongs time and time again. And it's not that I'm uncomfortable with teaching about issues of race. It's I don't want to teach them through this very distorted lens of critical race theory that has us looking at each other in new racial stereotypes, labeling each other by these new racial stereotypes as oppressed or oppressors. You know, I want to teach kids the MLK way, that the most important thing about someone is who they are, not what they look like. It's their character that matters, not their skin color. And so those are the things that I find, you know, we really need to get back to as parents, as teachers, educators, our educational system in general is way off track. Um, and, and really looking at America as an awful evil place. Um, teaching our kids to hate our country, hate each other, hate themselves. This is not this is not what America is supposed to be about. So it sounds like people need to do two things uh, just immediately. Oh, well, I guess three things. The first thing people need to do is like and subscribe to the show if you're watching Absolutely. on YouTube, on YouTube, <laughs> if you're listening on podcast, on podcast. Uh, but the other two things, too, because uh, I guess I, I'm still learning math. I, the other two things. The other two <laughs> things are... Um, study history, you know, read the Declaration, read the Constitution before you just um, really just poop all over it. Read the Federalist so you actually yes. understand. And you, the Federalist has counterpoint in it. So it'll tell you some of those other ideas. And, you know, uh, Jay didn't get everything he wanted. Madison didn't get everything they wanted. No one got everything they wanted. It was constant exactly. compromise. And they talk about it in the Federalist. People read it. Mm -hmm. uh, but also... Study the civil rights movement because mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, um, the I call him woke to this these days. <laughs> he would not have been on your side. You you guys stand in stark contrast to mm -hmm. uh, to Dr. King. Um, sorry for the sniffs, folks. But some no, of my fine. some of my viewers have pointed out I sniff a lot when I'm oh, doing okay. interviews. I think I'm only up to two, so we'll try not to have a third. <laughs> I've wanted to ask an educator this um, okay. on interview. I've asked educators in private, but you're the first one that I've actually interviewed. All right. I'm so excited. Honored. A lot of, <laughs> I'm honored to have you as a guest. I, I know that you're busy and, and, um, and you're, you're having um, 
uh, a situation with your dog. I hope your dog's okay. I meant to. Yeah. I ask think you he about will be. We, we haven't heard yet from the vet, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a pretty. It was a rough morning too. I hadn't even had my coffee yet, and we're off to the ER oh, with no. the <laughs> I've got that magical nectar right here. Um, it's only second cup, so man, what time is it? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. especially and after. I have time if you want to go longer than our 30 minutes. I'm fine. It's up to you. Awesome. Right. Uh, well, probably if you'll stick around. But yeah, I've been absolutely. I've been dying to ask an educator this. Okay. Um, so in the, this will start off weird, in the circus world, of course, because we go from the classroom and history and the civil rights movement straight to the circus. Um, so in that type of entertaining, they have to train these huge and powerful and, and usually dangerous animals. And we've seen them. They've got giraffes and lions. Uh, but there's always the elephant tamer. The, and they, they have this little stick. And a lot of mo motivational speakers have spoken about this. The way that they train the elephant to behave is when the elephants are very, very small. I don't know what a baby elephant's called. We'll say a baby elephant. Uh, they tie this massive rope around the animal's neck. Um, and so it, it kind of drags them down. They can't really move. And they tie that massive rope and this, this wooden stick. Some of them use aluminum, whatever, but they stake it to the ground and the elephant tries and tries and tries to get away from it. It tries to get out of it. And at this time, it, this massive rope that's like a, it's the type of rope that you tether a, a boat, you know, to the dock with, mm -hmm. um, they can't move it. So as the elephant grows, sometimes it takes, you know, a couple of weeks, sometimes it might even take a couple of months. The elephant decides that it cannot move this stick. It can't pull this thing out of the ground. And it knows this as a statement of fact. So when it's an adult elephant and they, they hitch it to the circus tent, an onlooker is like, this elephant could take this thing down and it could, but it learned from a small age that it is incapable of doing it. And when I think about CRT, when I think about looking at, uh, if I move away from the white kids and all of the untruths that are spoken over them, which are terrible untruths, you know, what's true about us is what God says about us. That's exactly. just what I believe. It's okay, folks, if you don't believe that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you're allowed to be wrong. But I look <laughs> at the I look at the minority kids and the truth that's being spoken over them, the rope that's being put around their neck as you face these obstacles. It was in that training video you watch right. is that no matter what you have, you're going to have to go further, work harder and all this other stuff. Um, and you probably won't achieve it yeah. because you're black, because you're. Um, any of the other groups, there, there's a new group and a new acronym every day. I know. Have you, how have you seen this kind of take hold in the classroom? Is it taking hold in the classroom? Are there things uh, manifesting in the children as CRT becomes more prominent? Mm -hmm. um, because when I look at young people and I talk to them, I used to fight human trafficking for, for mm -hmm. almost a decade. Thank um, you. So I had a lot of interactions. It's my pleasure. I had a lot of interactions with young people. They are the largest vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. And I see the rope that, and it's a, you know, it's a construct, but I see the rope that we're placing around their neck is really dragging them down, at least in my area. Um, so I'm wondering how that impact takes hold in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see it. And like I said, it's heartbreaking, particularly in watching how students interact with and treat one another. Um, I gave you the example earlier of kids purposely excluding one another um, based on their skin color. This whole notion of white privilege really constitutes 
group guilt for our white students. And we see some of them buying into that. And, um, and then we see, just like you said, for our students of color, it, it really assigns them as permanent victims. And that's, you know, that is certainly not going to be beneficial to them as they, you know, are trying to go out into the world and, and, and do anything to succeed. I mean, it's basically telling them that they can't. And so I watch kids kind of struggle. I, I hear them say things like, well, I won't be able to do that because, you know, I'm black or I'm Hispanic or, you know, and, but then in the same time, in the same breath, I've had some of my white students in frustration say, there are all these opportunities for kids who are of color that I don't get because I'm white and that frustration is real. So that breeds this, um, you know, discrimination against each other, even though they say that they're trying not to do that. So I definitely see it heartbreakingly take place as our kids divide each other based on these new racial categories and racial stereotypes and oppressed and oppressor and, you know, calling themselves victims or taking on guilt that doesn't belong to them or just being angry that they're being forced with this white privilege label that doesn't really fit who they are. Um, it's, yes, I see it. It's real. I know there are a lot of Christians that watch this channel and a person that a lot of us try to persuade is our worship pastor. Why don't we play this song? Have you ever considered this? The music's too loud, the music's too soft. Did you know that I actually have a degree in music from the world's largest evangelical Christian university, Liberty University? Probably not. And you definitely didn't know that I wrote the book on transforming your worship ministry based on my years of experience as a professional musician, experience as a worship ministry leader, and a decade of experience running and leading productive rehearsals. I'm selling this product and hopefully it can get to more churches and transform more ministries. Ebook is available now for purchase, paperback coming soon. Yeah, that's that's just unbelievable. I, I hadn't even thought of um, how, you know, white students or even they call him something now, not uh, like person of not enough color, which is apparently someone like my daughter, my youngest daughter. She's obviously mixed. I'm black. My <laughs> wife is white, um, but right. she's very light. Um, so aside from her crazy hair, uh, a lot of people probably <laughs> wouldn't even realize that she's mixed. She has blue eyes like her mom. Um, so she'd be a person of not enough color. So she benefits from white privilege. Like uh, apparently Asians, I'm hearing Asians benefit from white mm -hmm. privilege because they're white adjacent. Yes. Um, it doesn't have to do with the fact that they study almost twice as much. The typical American mm -hmm. um, non-Asian studies about seven hours a week. Um, uh, the typical Asian American studies for 14 or 15 hours a week. Mm -hmm. That might have something to do with Maybe. their success. I don't uh, know. Yeah. You know, so a, yeah. So it, you're you're absolutely right. It's um, it's heartbreaking and it's mind-boggling to watch. You know, and you mentioned another new racial stereotype in addition to white privilege. Now we have white adjacent. Like, how dare you, Joe? You know, align yourself with with me, who you know my Asian. Oh, theory, I've, I've been cast out. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I've been cast guy. out. I'm ostensibly a white person because mm-hmm. I I was the first in my family to go to college and, right. and I, I went on and got a master's degree. But my success has kicked me out of the group. It doesn't matter that I'm from the hood and mm-hmm. the, the drug dealers on either side of our old house or the violence in our schools. None of that mm-hmm. matters. Uh, right. Dr. Ben Carson kicked mm-hmm. out. Dr. Kicked Condoleezza out, right. Rice kicked out. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it doesn't it matter. It makes no sense. Now, Obama got to stay, which is confusing because I can't wrap my mind around how the literal, you know, it's not a stretch to say that the person who controls the United States military is probably the most powerful person Mm -hmm. on earth. I can't see how still a victim, you know, beautiful wife, beautiful family, uh, Congress gone, president of the United States, and still a victim. (laughs) I don't, so. Yeah, uh, it's it's mind boggling. The as you have said over and over again, and I myself, that it's just absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, I think right now also about some of the other things that I see uh, in our training and trickling down to our student body. Uh, we we recently were uh, doing this whole training on microaggressions, and we were taught that a claim of colorblindness is a microaggression and basically you really are a racist you're just trying to say that you're not a racist if you claim colorblindness and of course as a christian that is utterly wrong and offensive as a christian because we're taught in our christian faith there's neither jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female we're all one in christ jesus the last thing i'm supposed to notice about someone is their race their ethnicity their gender their their social status um and it just is completely contrary, again, to what Dr. Martin Luther King taught us. He advocated for a colorblind society. And now we're saying if you claim colorblindness or that content of character is more important than color of skin, you're a racist. And it's just, you know, if I could raise one eyebrow on my own, I'd do it, but I can't. So I have to, <laughs> I have to do it myself like, with the finger. Like, what? It's just, you know, one absurdity after another, like you said. It just yeah. makes no well, sense. Well, Terry McAuliffe, who's running for governor, former governor of Virginia, running for governor again against Glenn Youngkin. And uh, mm-hmm. I've got my, oh, let's see here, right there. I always point in the wrong direction. Right here, I've got my little <laughs> shout out for Glenn Youngkin. Um, he says CRT is a right-wing conspiracy. And then, of course, there are documents, not leaked documents, public-facing procurement documents that right. Loudoun County Public Schools, a lot of people have seen this online. You think they spent $625 on on the training, that's $625 an hour, folks. That's how much mm-hmm. these high-priced consultants get. I, I wish I had that kind of job. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe I am oppressed. I don't get paid $625 an hour. Um, but the training is literally called uh, Development Plan for Critical Race Theory something. I should have pulled up the slide. Uh, but Critical yeah. Race Theory Development Plan, I think it was May 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Prince William County, you know, a neighboring county, they had some documents come out and it says exactly what you just said. It said claims of color blindness are overtly racist. It's almost like the worst thing. It's better to just admit you're racist than say that right. you're not. Um, and it said this in this teacher training and you had mentioned uh, maybe it was either in an article or in a previous uh, interview 
but it's supposed to be a dialogue, but it's mm-hmm. really more like yeah. a monologue. So how how have efforts gone to reach out to whatever type of administration, maybe that's school, maybe that's county, and have a dialogue about it? How how does there, that go? There is no there is no dialogue, as I said. I mean, I I wrote my first letter and sent it to Dr. Williams and every member of the equity training team, and no one responded to me, not one, not one person. I went to the school board meetings. I went to the equity committee meetings and spoke. No one ever responded to to anything that I said. And at the time, I really was kind of saying, okay, you know, we do need to talk about issues of race and racism, but I just, I think the way that you're going about it is counterproductive. It's wrong. I think you need some more voices in the mix. Um, this looks really one-sided and biased. And I was, I was trying to be part of the conversation to be included. And no, they didn't want to have anything to do with making me part of the conversation or anyone who had thoughts like myself, really. Um, when I went to one equity committee meeting, there was one gentleman there who, um, who actually was black and was like-minded with us in terms of saying, you know, I don't think that the things that you're doing here or spouting are really in line with the right way to be teaching our kids or pursuing things. But he's not on the equity committee anymore. I don't know what happened there. Um, interesting. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play any conjecture. But, but I continue to ask questions. I'll conjecture. I'll do conjecture. He came out of the conservative closet right. and they booted right. him, folks. That's, they booted him. Yeah. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. But, but you know, so for instance, let's just talk about like real legit questions that I have asked and gotten no answers for. So. On this whole issue of microaggressions, I had said at my last training, okay, so I've witnessed our students of color, as I said, saying things to exclude their white peers, like you need to check your white privilege or you can't be a part of this conversation if you're white. Is that okay? And the answer I get is, oh, no, 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 that's okay. And then I say, okay, well, what, what's going to be done about it? Are these students of color going to have to go through restorative justice, which is going to be part of the policy. If you commit a microaggression, you're going to have to go through restorative justice through administration. Are they going to have to do restorative justice? How are you going to uh, justify to these kids that they have to have a consequence for their behavior when they're being taught that their white peers are oppressing them with white privilege? And I'm not kidding you, Joe. They just looked, they just stared at me in silence for like 45 seconds. And then they went off into talking about, well, my experience, you know, I have had people follow me around the store because I'm black and ask if I need help. And, and I've said no, but I know they're following me because I'm black and they think I'm going to steal something. And then the other person says, when I feel uncomfortable, you know, about something, I try to, I try to take that as a growth opportunity. And I was like, I don't feel uncomfortable about anything. I want my question answered. What is going to happen? What should happen? If this is not okay, then what should happen about it? And how are you going to justify consequences for these kids when they're being taught white privilege is keeping them down and oppressing them, that their white peers are oppressing them? Well, I want your question to get answered. We'll pass it higher up and it gets passed then higher up. It. And I, I have, I, you know, my first inquiry about that was last April and I have made several since then and I still have gotten zero answers about it. So 
yeah, in answer to your question, the conversation is not really a conversation. It is very one-sided. And if you are not on board and challenging, you either get dismissed or you get told, well, you're just not there yet. If you're feeling challenged or uncomfortable, then, you know, you should use that as a growth opportunity. And it's just so, again, back to the absurdity. It's just, just completely deflecting and projecting to try and get away from and, having to deal with the reality that they're creating. And the unfalsifiable arguments. It's mm -hmm. like the they have these favorite fallacies. Oh, I should make that a thing. Favorite fallacies yeah. of the leftist. Anyway. <laughs> I love it. Um, it's all write it that book up. or something. It's the unfalsifiable arguments with all white people are racist and the mm -hmm. most racist white people are the ones who say that they aren't. Um, mm -hmm. Also, black people that say that all white people are not racist, we're, I almost said gender confused, we're race confused or mm -hmm. we're white adjacent or something. Yeah. Um, and da 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 da, you get to the end, we're racist too. I'm, yeah. I've been told that I'm a white supremacist. If you look on my Twitter feed, <laughs> like, you won't have to scroll far to find that I'm a white supremacist. <laughs> Which means a basic lack of understanding of what supremacy is or what right. racism is or bigotry. The, the not Democrats, but the leftists, if you are a leftist, you're mm -hmm. a bigot. If you're a member of BLM, mm -hmm. either one, the movement or the, right. the capital corporate BLM, you're a bigot, which means not willing to hear dissenting opinions, mm -hmm. shutting down conversation, um, yeah, that, that, that's a bigot, folks. Um, and, you know, so like a, a Christian and a Jew and a Muslim walk into a bar and they can all have conversations about their different beliefs. They're not bigots. They're talking about mm -hmm. it. They're, hey, you know, I think you're wrong. You think I'm wrong, but we can talk about it. Right. That's how this whole thing's supposed to work. Right. And that, I think, is the other thing that I find most frustrating and disconcerting and alarming is the shutting down of conversation. The whole, their entire um, modus operandi is shut down the conversation. We're not going to listen. And we watch, we watch the school board do that. I mean, they attempted to pass a policy to silence teachers. They, uh, you know, they put Tanner Cross on leave. They shut down the last school board meeting. They'd only listened to what, 50 or 60 people. I mean, you know, they sat there and said, we want to hear what everybody has to say. Well, you know, if you really wanted to hear what everybody has to say and you really thought that the clapping was distracting, you could have done what you did during COVID and cleared the room and just called people into at a time and let everybody say what they wanted to say. But they didn't want to hear what people had to say. They you, don't. You nailed it. They wanted to shut down the conversation. Exactly. And um, and just the, the things that came out from Dr. Ziegler and Brenda Sheridan afterwards about that school board meeting continue to make clear there is no conversation there is no dialogue it is they're gonna railroad their way um and you know we have to do something about it because this is as i have pointed back to a million times this is the complete antithesis of dr king and what we learned from him what he taught us and you know the thing that i love about teaching about him civil rights movement jim crow is that Dr. King actually brings the words of Jesus to life from the Sermon on the Mount, like right off the pages of the Bible. So, you know, you look at anything that he's teaching, that he's preaching, he's saying, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. I mean, he put that into action 
with his teaching of agape love, with nonviolent direct action, those things put the words of Jesus to life in action. And it created arguably the most successful civil rights movement in human history. And you just compare that to, you know, like an Ibram Kendi who says the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. You know, that is utterly the opposite of Dr. King who said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So by that measure, discrimination cannot drive out discrimination. We're, we've, you know, they're getting it all wrong and all backwards. And we've got to, you know, we've got to get back on track because the, the differences, again, are so striking. I mean, you look at Kendi makes millions of dollars. Dr. King he died with a net worth of like $250,000 adjusted for current inflation. And he paid with his life. He wasn't paid millions like Kendi is paid to sow division. King paid with his life. And he actually brought us together and gave us something that, like you said, I benefit from it just as much as you benefit from it. And as people in the civil rights movement would say, you know, knowing that one of my uh, black brothers and sisters doesn't have freedom infringes on my freedom to, to be honest. So um, I don't know. It's just the absurdity again. I don't know what I else know. to say other than my husband and I just keep looking at each other and going, we are just, these are just crazy times. It's these a clown world. We're living in. I, uh, one, I've never said this publicly. Uh, okay. and, but two, um, I agree. The world, the entire world, because of the value placed on human life, the value placed on the individual life, not the collective, mm -hmm. um, has been furthered by Dr. King. Yeah. Uh, and and every man, woman, and child of every race is a beneficiary of that. And this is the thing that I've never said publicly. Sometimes I think we're, we're not pulling a Joseph Smith. We're not going to add any book to the Bible. But sometimes yeah. I think to myself, when I think of all of the stupid stuff that I've done, um, when I think of uh, people will bring up stuff from Dr. King's past, you know, still a person, still a mm -hmm. human, just like everyone else, with all of our failings, like the Bible characters, and all of the things that we do and strive to do, sometimes I think if the Bible were still being written, would this story be in it? Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind. I think that about mm -hmm. my life and how I tried to live and, and live that Joshua 1-9, bold and courageous, mm -hmm. and Daniel chapter 3, you know, the whole kingdom will bow down to a lie except for three. Mm -hmm. um, I, I try and live that, and it sucks. It's really hard to do. I don't do it right all the time. I'm sure you don't do it right all the time. Nope. <laughs> um, Dr. King didn't, but without a doubt, if the Bible were still being written today, his story would be in it. It, it would. It, he'd be a maybe not a Paul type character, um, but for sure there would be a. I don't know a Martin or a Luther. No, they'd be like a. Well, Luther <laughs> kind of makes you think. Anyway, there there would be a an MLK book. For sure, mm -hmm. uh, if if it were still being written, and Kendi and um, I'm reading White Rage, which is mm -hmm. oh my gosh, the brain cells. Um, but I, I didn't make it. I didn't try to do White Fragility. Uh, but mm -hmm. all of these people, the D'Angelos, the Kendis, they're sowing seeds of hate, and it's mm -hmm. it's absurd. And we feel just like you all feel. Mm -hmm. we're living in a clown world like what has yeah. happened um yeah. his and you said i say the same thing he paid for his dream with his life 
for mm-hmm. people like us to benefit. People like us as in Americans, as citizens of the world even, not for globalist government, but every man, woman, and child on earth with the with the benefit that we experience as individual lives being worthy to be protected, just that sanctity of life thing has been right. furthered by Dr. King. Um, man, if he were around for this whole abortion thing, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I, I'm confident that that would be the battle that mm-hmm. he takes. I, I can't put where, but goodness right. gracious. Um, anyway, we could go on and on and on. Um, we've got to get to these book recommendations. So one, yeah. you know, the, the last question is about a book, but you actually, you came prepared. You, you brought a book before you knew there was a question about books. Um, so let's add it to the screen there. So moms, mama bears out there, when, mm-hmm. when we were in the green room, which just like a real green room, it's not green. <laughs> when we were in the green room, we were talking and, and I mentioned books and Monica brought up this awesome book, Mama Bear Apologetics. Mm-hmm. Hope I say this right. It's by Hillary Morgan Ferrer, it looks I, like. I'm not sure how you pronounce it either. Ferrer, Ferrer. We'll go yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's guys, <laughs> We know that we don't like to uh, we don't like to put money in the coffers of of the Amazon types, but right. get on Amazon and buy this book. Less than fifteen bucks, and you'll have it. Um, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. Like mm-hmm. at that subtitle, you know, Mama Bear Apologetics: Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. If that title doesn't make you want to immediately buy this book. Mm-hmm then I, I don't know. I'm not even a mama bear. I'm a papa bear and I yeah, want this Yeah, but you book. should read it, papa bear. It's not, <laughs> I mean, it says that it's for mama bears, but it's for papa bears too. Um, this, so, this is just an incredibly uh, well-written book for, for any of your listeners who aren't familiar with the term apologetics or what that is. Um, it basically is a, a field of Christianity that deals with how do you defend the faith against questions like, well, you know, how can you prove that God exists or why the should I believe of in evil. God? Right. What's yeah, exactly. How do we deal with good and evil? If God's good, then why is there evil in the world? So all of these sort of big picture questions that come at us um, in culture and whether we're talking with other individuals or we are consuming anything of any kind of entertainment value, it, it is, these things are, these questions are thrown at us. These values, world values, worldviews are thrown at us in television and media and advertising in conversations with other people. So these gals have basically put together this apologetics crash course for moms, but it's good for dads too. So mom and, and dad can read it together but it is an incredibly well done piece. They go through just kind of some basics about the big questions, the big lies that we that we deal with in culture. And then how do you answer those with your kids? How do you help them discern the cultural lies? And then how do you help them challenge those cultural lies? How do you help them process the, the biblical worldview of answering those questions for their own little hearts? Um, in addition to being able to kind of combat, you know, do battle with bad ideas is, is really the line I'm using these days. Because the truth is, we may not think it, but our kids are really in the cultural battle with us. And this is, you know, critical race theory, transgenderism, abortion, you pick whatever the issue is. 
Um, it's not just our battle as the adults to fight. Our kids are being bombarded by culture every day. They are in this battle and they need the tools to be able to do battle with bad ideas, which means recognizing those bad ideas and then being able to challenge them. And this book does an incredible job. It takes all of these you know, various cultural lies that we meet um, whether it's in entertainment or conversations or just the way people think, you know, well, we didn't make, you know, God didn't make us in his image. You know, we made God in our image. So taking those questions and picking them apart and how, do, how do you answer them from a, from a biblical worldview? And then how can you be winsome and loving in conversation with other people who might have those ideas? And if you're confronted with those, your kids are confronted with those ideas, being able to recognize them and put truth, the truth of the Bible, the truth of Jesus, the truth of God's word, um, and filter that, you know, through that lens and not be destroyed or have their faith removed or taken away because they buy into these cultural lies. Awesome. Really, every parent needs to read this book. Um, mm -hmm. Children grow up and they go to college and a mm -hmm. tremendous, a, a staggering amount of young adults of our children walk away from the faith and walk away from all sorts of things in their college years. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart right. from it. Yep. This is part of that, knowing about apologetics. And I'm so glad that you explained that. I love apologetics. I love philosophy. <laughs> I love to have those conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And um, and sometimes I, I used to say that I was all law and order and justice and my wife carried all the grace and mercy and, and her impact on me has been now I, I have a more holistic faith mm -hmm. for sure. Um, but man, I used to tear into people with those questions about, or, you know, we created God in our image. Mm -hmm. I, I, would smirk and I'm like, oh, I'm going to embarrass this person because yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really easy to pick it apart. But it sounds like this is an approachable book and it mm -hmm. sounds like um, these are, it looks like there are two authors down here on the, whoops, down here on the page. Um, yeah, but so Hillary Morgan Furr is like the main editor, I guess, but it's written by several different women and they have a website too, where they've got all kinds of resources. So if you want to listen to their podcasts or look at blog things that they've written or look at a, you know, your kid asks you a question. You're like, I don't know how to deal with that question. <laughs> you could go search it. And, you know, they probably awesome. have a blog to, to help you deal with it. But the thing I also like about this book is that they give you some real kind of tangible activities that you could do with your kids. Like, okay, the next time your kid has a song that they're really obsessed with, Sit and listen to the lyrics with them and then ask them, okay, what is this song about? What is this song glorifying? What is it saying is, you know, what is it saying is important in the world? And I've had some really great conversations with my own daughter just saying, okay, you love, you love this song. Is what is this song really saying? Is what it's saying, you know, godly? Is what is it, is what it's saying really encouraging you to do the right things in life? Is it glorifying things that shouldn't, is it glorifying evil or is it glorifying good? So I really like it because not only do they package for you uh, how to think about these things, how to look at them from a biblical worldview, how to help your kids do it, but they, they really give you activities, things to think about, like anything that you watch, anything that you listen to is giving you a message of some sort and being cognizant of what is that message? What is it? 
And is it a good message? Is it a biblical message? Because we can't just say, don't watch this, don't watch that. That's just not a good, you know, that's just not reality of what we deal with or what our kids deal with. So we need mm -hmm. to teach them how to navigate it and not just go, oh, that's, that's dangerous or that's bad. We shouldn't, you know, look at that or listen to that. It, it, it should be, how can we discern and look at these things and know, oh, that's not a biblical worldview. You know, this is promoting something that's actually evil, not good. Um, yeah. So again, I couldn't, that's, I can't say enough great things about it. You just said the most important D word is discern, discernment yes. folks. Yes. It's, it's a personal responsibility. <laughs> so you're going to get double tapped on the books because you okay. brought your own recommendation. Yes. But I always like to ask my guests, if you could have everyone on earth read and understand, and I mean, really understand one book, what would you pick and why? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I mean, the Bible obviously is, is the number that, that's one. That's the one that you can't pick. That's so the one I that can't second pick, right? book, yeah. Um, wow, I wasn't expecting that question, Joe. That's a good question. And you can't pick Mama Bear Apologetics. Everyone, right. hopefully you're already right. ordering already that, that book. Um, <laughs> it, we're going to order so, it. We're, we're going to order it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, please do. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give sort of a cop-out answer because <laughs> I can't think of anything else right now. So I'm going to give you kind of another resource as a, as a mama and a teacher that I think is phenomenal. And that is, I think I gave you the link to this one too. It's called The Art of Argument. And this actually is a workbook that is aimed at middle school age, but it can be, I mean, I'm reading it right now because my daughter worked through it this year at her little school and it's incredible. Um, but you can use it with elementary school kids or high school kids. And as I said, like we have to equip our kids to be able to do battle with bad ideas. And this particular workbook is amazing because it goes through 28 different logical fallacies. It teaches you what those logical fallacies are in a fun way. And it is very approachable. And I think when we really think about what kind of education are our kids getting right now, particularly if your child is in public school, um, my child is not currently in public school. We removed her this past year. Um, it was enough for me to be in there, <laughs> be in the public schools. Um, but at her school, they, they did this book. And I'm incredibly amazed at how much she learned and how much discernment she has now when she is looking out at things in the world, when she's listening to um, political arguments, when she's listening to commercials, she knows, oh, that's a fallacy of bifurcation. And I'm like, that's a what? Yes. <laughs> so I, I, need to, I need to know what a fallacy of bifurcation is. Give me that book, kid. So I highly recommend this book. I'm working my way through it myself. I would say if you are a teacher like myself who's concerned, you could easily do one of these fallacies, use this book and do one of these fallacies a week in your class. And if you're a mom or dad, like we know our schools are not teaching kids logic anymore. They're just not. They're not teaching them logic. They're not teaching them how to discern. They're not teaching them critical thinking. They are teaching them how, they're teaching them what to think, not how to think. And this book is incredible because it will give them the tools they need to be able to do that critical thinking and it will exercise that critical thinking and it will, again, equip them, just like Mama Bear Apologetics, it will equip them to be able to do battle with bad ideas. They're in this battle with us, even if they're not in public school, 
even if they're in private school, they're going to have culture seep in. They've got to have those tools to do battle with bad ideas. So that would be the other one I would say. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad that you sent that link. Uh, and I'm glad that you mentioned it because I didn't mm -hmm. see it in the chat. Um, I like JP Moreland's uh, Love Your Out With All Your Mind. And it, oh, it is a little one. bit more... Uh, mm -hmm. It, it sound, it's probably a little bit less approachable, but I'm interested in reading this now because yeah. uh, like we talked about earlier, all things philosophy and apologetics, mm -hmm. I, I really love. But man, if this has got like kids and teens pointing out, shooting down fallacies yes. on the radio and stuff, yes. awesome. I'm definitely yeah. going to check it out. And well, I would say as a parent, do it, you know, like turn off the devices and take 20 minutes and go over one of the fallacies together over dinner. I mean, it's an easy thing to do and it's, it will be such an investment of value for you and for your kids. So yeah, so get it. I'll Do say it. because Eliza, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's not me saying this. It's, it's Monica Gill. We know and love her already. <laughs> you know, we, we really appreciate her advice, her service as an educator. Um, so, you know, maybe at dinner we could talk a little apologetics, you know, not not by my request, but by Monica's, by Monica's. you know, suggestion. <laughs> I, you know, she's she's that Proverbs 31, that Joshua 1-9 woman. I think that uh, this is not for the listeners. This is just for my wife. <laughs> I think that we should, uh, you know, bring these books to dinner. Uh, but anyway, I, I joke, but... <laughs> If anything has, if I'm thankful for COVID and I, I know that it, it, you know, COVID did cause a lot of uh, devastation throughout the mm -hmm. world. Um, but COVID and really the Lord like lit the fire and I've never seen so many fierce moms, so many fierce dads, uh, mm -hmm. my wife included in those fierce moms about protecting the children and about you know, indoctrination is real and everyone's mm -hmm. being indoctrinated with something, but just to lean into my kids, my house, my influence is going to be indoctrinating for Christ on these exactly. truths, on this rock, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I stand and build my house. Um, so with that in mind, this is just awesome. This is, <laughs> I've, I've never gotten to end a show like this, but uh, which button do I press here? This one. Ah, uh. <laughs> Yes, you know, I haven't even, Monica just sent me this before we got on and I haven't even had an opportunity to read it. Um, I just read the beginning and the end, which is what you do when you, when you <laughs> need to cram. But here's the thing. Dr. King, we, have we said Dr. King enough this episode? Right. Like he, yeah. his legacy, he had such a tremendous impact on the world and you know, Les Brown says history is being read, but it's also being written by people who have imagination. And here's the question. It's literally the title of the article. It's the last thing in the last paragraph. Where is that bold and courageous person who is today's Dr. King? We, we talk about people like Gandhi and we talk about people like Dr. King and, and we talk about all of these figures. You can pick a date out of you know, out of history, and they'll be that influential person, that courageous person who is storming whatever hill they're storming. And who is America's next Dr. King? Mm -hmm. It's, I honestly, it's probably not Monica. It's probably not me. It's probably someone who's listening or even someone who doesn't yeah. listen to the show. And how is 
how are they going to be impacted and the influence that they have on the world going to be changed if they buy into the CRT nonsense that is being spoken over them? Is it a black person? Are, are they hearing that they're oppressed and there's nothing they can do to get out from under it? Is it a young white person who's hearing that they're evil just by virtue of their whiteness? Um, I'm going to read this today when I oh. get out of here, but <laughs> Just talk to us. This will be our final thought. Talk to us a little bit about what drove you to write this article. And um, I usually end the show, but I'm going to let you end oh. the show uh, <laughs> oh, wow. on, on this idea. So here we go. We're going to we're going to get solo, Monica. Take it away. <laughs> well, I think the thing that drove me to write this particular article was just looking at what is happening in our culture right now regarding the issues of race. And like you said, we're teaching people to hate America. We are looking away from our founding fathers. We're teaching people who that, you know, all white people are racist and all black people are oppressed. And, and it was like, where is Dr. King? He's just absent from this conversation. And I wrote it right, and they released it actually on um, MLK Day because I was just asking this question over and over in my mind, like who's going to be America's next king who will be able to cut through the madness and really get to the heart of the matter and unify people and pull them together. And that is really, that's what he did with the civil rights movement and what he did with pointing us again back to the founding fathers and say America hasn't been living up to its promises. I mean, in the I Have a Dream speech, he specifically says, like, you know, we have this promissory note from the founding fathers and America needs to live up to it. And I believe that she will. And we cannot, you know, look at and hate our, our white brothers and sisters. We have to embrace them and love them. And I think the thing that got me most about it was, you know, if you look at King's message, his message really was Jesus's message. And so ultimately what we really need is not just like another Martin Luther King. What we need is to be embracing the real King, which is Jesus. He is our King. And if you look at what Martin Luther King Jr. did, as I said earlier, he, he saw what Jesus um, said, when you have someone strike you on the right cheek, turn to them the other as well. King said, Jesus did that on the cross. So when he asks us not to strike back against those who are oppressing us, he's not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. So we're called to do this. And if we turn the other cheek, if you think about it, when you're not in conflict with someone and you offer your cheek to them, what do you expect to get? When you're not in conflict, you expect to get a kiss. And so what Jesus is really saying in that message isn't, oh, go be a doormat and let people beat you up. Although, you know, certainly that did happen in the civil rights movement. And that does happen when you're doing civil disobedience and in nonviolent direct action. But the idea is we don't hit back. We turn the other cheek because our response is supposed to be so loving, so radical, so creative, so different, so full of the love of Christ that eventually the next time we turn our cheek, they're not going to want to hit us again. They're going to want to embrace us. And King said, that's what we want. We want to embrace the other side. We want to have a double victory, not just the victory of the law, but the victory of, of having those souls won to be our true brothers and sisters. So 
yeah, I hope there will be someone like King who can bring that message to the American people again and unify us so that we're, we're really sitting under the sovereign true King who is our Christ. I hope so too. Monica Gill, guys, read her articles, follow her career. I, I think that I don't know what your next chapter is, but I think that whatever it is, is just getting started. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. I hope Thank the listeners you. got a lot of awesome ideas and just truth to latch on to out of what you shared with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It really was an honor to be here. <laughs>